Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Matt Duchesne is out to take the face off. Goes up against JT Miller. And Miller wins this. Chernak going behind his own net, turning, plays it up the near wall. Duchesne picks it off. Duchesne sends it towards the net, and it's that's in there for the score. Cam Atkinson went to the front of the net. I thought it came off of Vasilevsky and stayed out. It was redirected in front, and it does go in. And the Blue Jackets have taken an early one to nothing lead. Good job by Atkinson right to the front of the net. He bangs it home. Oh, yes, he can. And the Blue Jackets strike first tonight. And they have struck again since then. The Blue Jackets leading Tampa Bay 2-0 going into the second period. Columbus already staged that incredible comeback to win game one against the 62-win Lightning. So 2-0 Blue Jackets start of the second period. Eight minutes left in the first. Islanders and Penguins are scoreless. Islanders lead the series one zip later tonight. St. Louis at Winnipeg with the Blues leading the series 1-0. We'll have more chat on that with Christian O'Mell out of CJOB in Winnipeg in a few minutes. And the Golden Knights and Sharks, the late game in San Jose with San Jose up one zip in the series. The Blue Jays trail Tampa Bay 5-0. That is in the top of the fourth at the Masters. Wow, what a leaderboard. Five golfers at 7-under. Molinari, Day, Kepka, Scott, and Oosthuizen. And at six under, you have Woods, Shoffley, Harding, and Dustin Johnson. So a five-way tie for the lead and then four golfers just a shot back. Going to be fun following the weekend at Augusta. At the Allen Cup in Lacombe into the third period in the first semifinal. Innisfail leading Stony Creek 2-1. At 8 o'clock, the other semi will have Lacombe taking on Rosetown. Thanks again to everybody in Lacombe and with the Generals organization for hosting Inside Sports last night. That was a lot of fun. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in this evening. Your weekend is underway. It is 6.08. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 6.30. Chad, you can text 6.30-6.30 if you would like to participate in the show. You can also call 780-496- 0063. Man, uh, obviously didn't get to see a lot of NHL playoff action live last night. Watched some highlights when I got back from uh, Lacombe, but the Maple Leafs defying my prediction of a Boston in four series. So now I'll say Boston in five. Uh, the Maple Leafs getting the win, and, and Mike Smith, excellent last night for the Calgary Flames as they shut out the Colorado Avalanche. And I, I will say this. I was saying all along, goaltending will not be a problem for the Calgary Flames, as many people thought it would. I think they're going to be fine in net. I think they're going to win uh, the Western Conference and lose to Tampa Bay in the final. But a lot to happen between now and then. Hey, you probably uh, caught this tonight, or earlier today. Ralph Kruger, remember this gentleman? Briefly the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers during the lockout shortened season, coached 48 games. 
He uh, then, shortly after leaving the Oilers, joined Southampton in the English Premier League and wound up becoming the uh, chairman of the team. He has been let go after five years in that role. Ralph Kruger, a, a very intelligent and well-rounded and thoughtful individual. Uh, do I think he's going to wind up working for the Edmonton Oilers again? Well, I, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, but I suppose you never know. I, I think if he were going to come to the Oilers, he would be a president of hockey operations, not the general manager. The Edmonton Oilers may not have a president of hockey operations, at least not in the short to medium term. They're looking to hire a general manager. Bob Nicholson has said doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a president as well and that, it, and that it, in all likelihood it would not be the same person. It, it's going to be very interesting whoever gets this job and and this is not i mean this is not great how this is timing out for the Oilers this is not ideal how you would like things to go but you have a coach in Hitch who's probably not going to be the coach next year you have a an interim general manager in Keith Gretzky who wants the job was pretty adamant about stating that on Monday when he did his year end availability and he may not have the job and then you have Bob Nicholson interviewing people though you know he did say he's getting the interview people with teams who are currently in the playoffs that not all the teams are making him wait so at some point we'll have a new general manager and then likely at some point we'll have a new coach and maybe an entire new coaching staff the, the timing isn't ideal i mean a couple of teams have already hired coaches but we'll, we'll we'll see how this plays out but at some point the Oilers are going to hire a general manager and that uh, is going to prompt the obvious variety of of reaction from uh, from the fan base so what, what are the general options for the next Oilers general manager in terms of experience? Well, one is they will hire somebody who's been likely an assistant general manager somewhere else, uh, like Bill Guerin, like Keith Gretzky, and has never actually done the job before. And the knock on him will be, well, he's never been a GM. How do we know he can actually do it? The other thing the Oilers could do is hire somebody like, say, Ron Hextall, for example, who has been a general manager before. And uh, the knock on that individual, regardless of who it is, will be, well, he used to manage this team and this went wrong and he did this and this didn't work out. And that'll be the knock on that guy. And I, I suppose if there's if there's a knock on key and, and this is for, for some people, but, you know, the different camps out there. And then if somebody like Keith Gretzky gets hired or somebody with past ties to the Oilers organization, then the knock on him is going to be that the Oilers are just bringing back someone familiar and not really looking around. So there's going to be some sort of drawback, some sort of argument you as a fan are going to be able to make against whoever gets the GM job. I get that. Uh, I just want to see the guy do the job. And it's, it's, unfortunately, it's probably going to take two years to see really how good a job the Oilers have done in hiring because that's probably how long it's going to take for him to really put his stamp on the team. Uh, Elvis has decided to call in tonight. Hey, Reed. How are you, sir? Good. I'm loving this weather. I just wanted to make a, a statement. I think they're they're pretty much damned if they do and damned if they don't. I don't see Mr. Gretzky getting hired for the simple reason. I think they've got a even just the last name kind of, uh, and people are going to look at that and gonna, the squeaky wheel gets the grease type of thing. Uh, I could I could actually I could actually see them doing a hire maybe being patient enough that Nicholson, in my opinion, has to get this right or he's done. Oh, for sure. But, but I mean, we, we got, I think there's a lot of things to consider here, Elvis. 
Like, like I said, I truly believe that whoever the next general manager is will be the GM for at least two years. And after year two for Shirelli, it didn't look so bad. I mean, Bob Nicholson might hire this person, and then a year from now, we could be talking about Bob Nicholson retiring or going to work for the Double IHF. I mean, that's we got to remember that's possible too. Right. What do you what What do you think, Reed? Like, I for whatever reason, I thought that they would hire uh, a GM that has tons of experience, uh, aka uh, uh, Holland, and maybe have him working with Gretzky and then turning the reins over. You think that could happen? No, I think uh, personally, I think if Keith Gretzky is not the next actual GM, he'll probably leave the organization. He'll both. You think? Eh? I, I, That's too I, bad because he's done a good job and. They've done a good job, uh, uh, like the amateur scouting's been, in, I think, incredible. We finally got some stuff in the cupboard. The, the amateur side has improved a lot, and, and Keith has said he's basically, that's basically been his area. He hasn't done as much on, on the pro side, so that would be, you know, an area of his resume you would you would question if he were to, were to come into the job. Elvis, I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks, Reed, for taking my call, but I appreciate it. I'm going to keep listening. Okay, that is Elvis checking in at 780-496-0063. Lots of Oilers storylines to follow, of course, going into the offseason. Lots of playoff fun to follow. A lot of hand-wringing in Winnipeg after they lost Game 1 with a late goal against the St. Louis. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blues, Christian O'Mell from our sister station, CGOB, will fill us in when we get back. How about this now? 3-0, the Blue Jackets leading the Lightning. They're four and a half minutes into the second period of game two no score late in the first between the penguins and the islanders and coming up in about an hour and 20 minutes game two in winnipeg jets and blues and the jets of course dropping the first game of that series to the blues who uh, were one of the top three teams in the nhl in the second half of the season christian omel from our sister station cgob in winnipeg of course keeping a close eye on this one christian welcome back to the show how are you doing i'm doing well i'm probably doing better than uh, most jets fans are in winnipeg right now i know they were pretty nervous going into game one and I don't think game one did anything to squish those anxieties for sure heading into tonight's game well they had the lead and uh, they did not hold it to get the win so I mean take me let's just start with that individual game take me uh, take me through that game and uh, what were some keys that ultimately swung it in the Blues direction though it was only by a slight margin right so before we get to that game, just setting up the context of the last couple of months, the Jets have been about 500 since the All-Star break. The Blues have, it's well publicized how hot they've been. And so the Jets came into the playoffs not really having played a lot of good hockey. They haven't played really a great game since they clinched the, the playoff spot against Nashville at home on a Saturday night in March. So they come into this game 
the first period, Patrick Laine, five on five from the slot. He's been really ice cold for a, a long stretch. A beautiful shot. They're up one nothing. The building's going nuts. And the Jets, for the first two periods, were the better team. They were, were playing a style of hockey that we hadn't seen from them in a long time. You could say they found their game. However, they were still only able to generate that one goal. They did have a power play late in the second in which Justin Bufflin hit the post, and that was their only power play of the game. They do score a lot of goals on the power play. So for them to only have one, that didn't help their cause. But that's good on St. Louis for being disciplined. So they're up one nothing. People are feeling better about their game, but again, it's just one goal. Fast Jordan Biddington, who's been just so good for the Blues. We go to the third period, and four minutes in, Perron off the faceoff ties it for St. Louis. It's through a screen. Hellebuck couldn't do anything about it. And the building feels a little bit on edge. Jets come out with a good shift right after that. But from that point on, St. Louis carried the play. They get a bunch of chances. Pretty much these, these plays where they run it along the boards and then get a chance to the slot. They had four or five really good opportunities to score before they finally did Tyler Bozak with just over two minutes to go. Being in that building for the third period, you could feel the momentum just switch completely to the St. Louis Blues side. And there came a point where it was clear it was not going to make it to overtime that St. Louis was going to find a way to score. It was just a matter of time. They do it with just over two minutes left. Jordan Bennington does have to make a really good save late with just seconds to go on Mark Shifley, who didn't get all of the shot he would have liked from about 10 feet out. But Bennington was great. The Jets have to find a way to generate more than one goal if they're going to win a game tonight. All right. Well... You, you mentioned how they, you know, they didn't play great over about the last 25-ish games of the season, about, about 500. Now, but they also were ahead of almost everybody in the conference for most of the season too, right? So they, they, did, have, they did have some leeway, uh, obviously, in the standings, which is never a bad thing. I mean, we watched the Oilers you know, exhaust themselves mm-hmm. trying to play catch-up over the last 30 games of the season. So you'd, you'd sooner have that cushion. So when you when you saw how they were playing though over the last month and a half or so, did you think, uh oh, there are some cracks here, or did you just think this is a team that can not coast but can take the foot off the gas a little bit? Which one was it for you? It was a blend of both, with the caveat being that they were missing their two best defensemen for periods of time, Dustin Bufflin. He got hurt right before New Year's, came back for five games, and then was out from valentine's day till the end of march josh morrissey was hurt february 24th came back for game one nikolai ehlers missed almost two months up front so they never had their full complement of players really in 2019 and that's part of it another part of it is what you said about coasting it's tough to say they were coasting because it seemed like they were getting away with a lot of games in the 2018 part of their schedule that they were not getting away with in 2019 so there were some sloppy games they found a way to win early on it has not been the case they've been losing those games over the last couple months and some people thought let's just get to the playoffs let's see what happens they're obviously not going as hard as they were at the end of last season when they were exhausted by the end of the vegas western conference final were they conserving energy they'll never admit any of that but it seemed Like, they didn't have a motivation, right? The game that they did have it, they crushed Nashville to clinch a playoff spot. And since then, it's like they didn't care if they won the Central or not. They ended up not winning it despite leading it for more 
days than any other team in that division did. But it just there was a waiting to see, okay, would it be different once the playoffs started? And I'd say to some degree, yes. The style of play, the, the game they had Wednesday night was better than a lot of the games we saw for the last couple months. But again, they didn't win, but they've been saying all the right things in public, saying, you know what, it's one game, we expected a long series, you're going to have to lose a couple. We never expected to go 16-0. and So they've been saying the right things tonight to get Brandon Tanev back in the lineup, who's a, a gritty winger, third, fourth line guy that'll kill penalties, block a lot of shots. He's their, their leader in the regular season in hits and block shots. One of the smallest guys on the team, so he'll bring a lot of energy into the lineup when he's back tonight. Christian, they went out and got Kevin Hayes at the deadline, 12 points in 20 regular season games for the Jets. I mean, those are the raw stats, but how would you describe his contributions since becoming a Jet? He's been okay. He's been fine. He has not been the kind of dynamo that I think Paul Stastny was last year. There was never the expectation that Kevin Hayes was going to be Paul Stastny. They gave up more for Paul Stastny. And you look at Hayes, he's a good centerman. I think he maybe passes more than he should. He always calls himself, you know, a pass-first guy. And sometimes you wish he shot the puck more. He's a a 6'5 centerman who's a bit awkward skater, but he's a powerful guy. He's not going to bang bodies too much. He's on a second line with Nikolai Ehlers and Matthew Perot right now, who didn't spend a lot of the season on that second line. He's been good, and he's a a good penalty killer. That's one another thing that he brings to this team. They've got a lot of good penalty killers on this Winnipeg Jets squad, and he does that well. Uh, and a good, pretty good face-off guy. He's 57% in game one. He's been decent. He has not blown anybody away, but I don't think he was brought in to score a ton of goals. So from that perspective, I think he's... He's done all right, though. Uh, one of the one of the newspapers this week, I think I, it was yesterday, wrote about how they need more out of Kevin Hayes. So take that for what you will. Okay. Well, I, I love watching games from Winnipeg because the crowd is so into it, and and you know Canadian city, so you know they're living and dying with every shift. That's fun to watch. Christian, thanks for checking in tonight, man. We'll talk soon. All right. No problem, Reed. That is Christian O'Mell from CJOB in Winnipeg. That game will start in just over an hour. Jets trying to even it up against the Blues. Well, we're going to catch up with a former Oiler when we get back. Jimmy Carson will be on the show. You'll hear what he's up to these days. Some memories of his brief tenure with the Edmonton Oilers, which did result in a 49-goal season. He had 49 goals going into the last game of the regular season in Calgary. Sound familiar? Yeah. Leon Dreisaitl this year. Jimmy didn't get his 50, but he did at another point in his career. He's coming up next, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. zone. He holds in a high slot, dishes it back to Wierenski, trying to drag it and get a shot, but there is no shot to be found. He holds it on the near wall. Across the ice he goes. Panarin slides it in front to Shane Tipton. Follow-up chance, and a score! You know his name, 
It's Matt Duchesne. And the Blue Jackets score on the power play to go up 3 to nothing. Five minutes left in the second period now in Tampa. The Blue Jackets leading the Lightning 3-0. So they've scored seven straight goals. Remember the Lightning led 3-0 after the first period a couple of days ago. The Blue Jackets coming back to win game 1-4-3 and now up 3-1 late in the second period of game two. Man, that is something as the Blue Jackets trying to go up 2-0 in that series. Penguins and Islanders, no score after the first. Blues and Jets will start in about an hour. Golden Knights and Sharks will start in about two hours. At the Masters, man, it is crowded going into the weekend. Five-way tie for the lead at seven under par. Oosthuizen, Scott, Kepka, Day, and Molinari. And then four golfers at six under, including Tiger Woods, Xander Shoffley, Justin Harding, and Dustin Johnson. Tiger Woods shooting 68 today on the heels of the 70 he shot yesterday. Molinari and Day, by the way, uh, by the way both shooting 67. Charles Howell the third shot a 67. He's in a group of golfers at four under, three off the lead. Going to be an exciting weekend. Blue Jays still trailing the Tampa Bay Rays 5-0. That is after 5. Alberta Junior Hockey League Championship Series starts tonight. Spruce Grove Saints visiting the Brooks Bandits. We had Saints coach Bram Steven on Inside Sports last night. You can go look for the Inside Sports podcast or go to the page on 630Ched.com to get that interview. Well, I am very pleased to catch up with a member of the Edmonton Oilers alumni. He was uh, just briefly at Edmonton Oilers, but he had a pretty big season 30 years ago. Please welcome to the show Jimmy Carson. Jimmy, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for making time for us uh, here at Edmonton. It's good to catch up with you. Obviously, you've been, you've been mentioned a lot lately, probably more than any other time since you left the Oilers because of uh, Dreisaitl's recent chase for 50 goals. I want to get to that, but first, uh, let people know what you're up to these days. How's life treating you? Um, it's going well. I live in uh suburb of Detroit, Rochester, Michigan. Uh, married, have four children, and uh, I am in the financial services business, and uh, that's been going quite well. So uh, all is good. Now, is that something you uh, were looking to get into even while you were still a player, or did those opportunities pop up uh, post-playing career? You know, uh, towards the latter part of my career, I actually started studying and uh, and taking various examinations for designations and licenses. So I would say while I was playing, I was kind of preparing, uh, you know, I love business and financial services, et cetera. So, uh, and I kind of started as a client. So I got to see the other side of the table. And then I thought that would, I would be able to bring good insight uh, sitting on the, the advisor side. Okay. Well, good stuff. Are, are, are you involved in, in hockey? I don't know if you still get out and play a bit or, or do a lot of alumni. I know you've done some alumni stuff. I don't know how often. Or are, are you uh, coaching or doing anything like that? I do nothing on, on the coaching front. Uh, my kids, uh, I have three boys and a daughter. Two of my kids, uh, but they're older. They're 23, 21, 19. So two of the, the older boys played hockey years ago. So I... And I wouldn't say I coach, but I would go on the ice and help. But that's I'm not really that active. And I do still skate, uh, not a ton, but I've done now. Uh, living here in Detroit, we have a very vibrant Detroit Red Wings alumni. So I, I'll play in four or five games a year and attend some other events. And then uh, I just recently did a uh, uh, Los Angeles Kings fantasy camp in, in L.A., which was a lot of fun. And then... Uh, 
So I would say I, I play a little bit, but I, I'm not really that in, into, the, into the game as far as coaching, et cetera. Now, being a hockey dad and having played in the NHL, was that uh, what was that experience like? Because clearly you don't want to put the expectations, I, I would think, of playing in the NHL on your kids, especially when they were younger. Were, did you have to uh, learn how to be a hockey dad? <laughs> or, 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 you know, uh, or, yeah, I was actually, uh, you know, I find there's kind of two types of hockey dads, one that really pushes and one that doesn't. I was one that didn't. I didn't want the fact that I played to enter into the picture of they should keep playing and how they liked it. And, and actually, it was, it's funny because, like I said, two of my three boys did play hockey, but I'm talking when they were seven, eight, nine, ten, and then finally they, they wanted to each play two sports a season. Well, we had, at the time, three children. I'm like, no, you can only play one winter sport. So the, the oldest loved basketball and hockey, and he picked basketball and he ended up going to a division three college here in in michigan and played basketball there and then my second son uh he got into soccer and same same dilemma i said oh you can only pick one and he picked soccer so uh so they 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 quickly bowed out and that was kind of the end of my hockey dadding Dave. <laughs> well, and it's interesting too, playing sports besides hockey. And I'm sure, as you know, there's always that debate nowadays. You know, a lot of kids coming up, even at maybe 10, 11, 12, are playing hockey 11 months of the year and they're not playing soccer or baseball or football or basketball or, or learning other sort of athletic abilities and, and being in other team environments. I mean, I don't know what it was like for you when you were growing up, but do you view year-round hockey maybe for younger kids as a as a bit of a detriment to building your all-around ability? Because that's that's a debate I, I ask a lot of uh, a lot of ex-players and a lot of parents with kids now. Do you put them in hockey year-round, or do you say like, no, you're going to do hockey, but then I want you to be on a baseball team or learn other skills? I would say I would come down on the camp of other sports. However, I think there's a a small uh, subset of the the larger picture that, you know, year-round probably makes sense. But I would say that's a very, you know, I would say very small portion of all the children that play. I think, you know, for the the average kid, getting some good exercise, developing different uh, muscles and skill sets with different games – I think is a wonderful, you know, way to develop and, and learn different sports and have fun and meet, meet people. Uh, but, you know, I'd be a hypocrite because when I was about 10, 11, I, I basically just did hockey, played a little baseball, but not much. And, uh, you know, I think for certain kids that maybe are really, you know, maybe really elite, really dedicated, and, and this is all they do is live and breathe the game, that they, they can do it. But I don't think... It should be like, you know, the standard is let's make everyone who wants to play hockey play year-round. Jimmy Carson joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Jimmy, Leon Dreisaitl uh, got to got to 50, and as I mentioned earlier, because of his chase for 50, a lot of people mentioned you getting 49 back in 88-89. Were you, I, I don't know how closely you followed the Oilers or, or Leon's specific quest for 50 this season. Did you find yourself paying attention to that? Uh to be perfectly honest, no, uh, and it's not because I just being here in Detroit and busy. Uh, however, I did, I did follow it. Uh, 
so I would I saw a few games and a few uh, you know I'd go on on the internet from time to time and check the stats and and the standings. Uh, so I was very happy he did he did get the fiftieth. That's always a, a great accomplishment, and uh, I would say even harder in today's game than my my day. But so I think it was a very good, nice accomplishment, and uh, you know, but I would you know I wasn't following it minute by minute or day by day. Okay, well, and I think now you had already scored fifty in your career when you came to the Oilers, so maybe it was a little different for you, but. Like Leon, you went into the final game of the season in Calgary with 49 goals, and I think you got an assist to get to 100 points, which which I know you had you had high scoring seasons at other point in your career. But what do you remember about going into that final game of the year in Calgary? I, I mean, look, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's my experience that what does a guy who scored 50 goals once in his career want to do? Well, he wants to do it again, right? I mean, <laughs> athletes like yeah. hitting those well. Yeah. What do you remember about going into that game in, in Calgary with a chance to get 50 again? It's funny. What I remember was I came into the game with 49 goals and 99 points and thinking, oh, my gosh, if I could just get a goal, do 50 and 100, that'd be great. So my first shift on the ice, Theo Fleury, comes right up to me and says, you will not score today because I'm going to watch you. And he, every time I was on the ice, he was just all over me. And uh, so I remember getting the assist saying, okay, at least I got, at least I got a hundred points. That'd be great. Uh, and then uh, I had a couple chances at the, at the get score in the 50th, but nothing really developed. So, so CO was right. He made sure that I wasn't going to score. Well, I think Theo never had a shortage of things to say to people on the ice, right? So he just, he just. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Carson joining us at Inside Sports. You, you know, I, I, I got I to gotta take you back. I, we've never talked before, so, so I got to ask you. What, what was your reaction in August of 1988 when you found out you were traded for Wayne Gretzky? <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. that did that happen? Yeah, yeah uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been asked this a lot over the years, and it's pretty simple. I was in L.A. We were having a young up-and-coming team, and the owner of the team, Bruce McDonald at the time, told me, you know, we're going to renegotiate your contract, go buy a house. You, Robitaille, and Duchesne are my, uh, you know, the, the future of the team. You guys are going to be here a long time. And then he calls me in July and says, hey, I got some really good news interesting news he says i think we might get wayne gretzky in a trade i said oh my gosh that's amazing and he says the problem is is they really want you and i'm like oh uh and it was one of those things and and it just to think back that you know arguably the greatest player in the history of the game and and what turned out to be the largest trade in the history of sports and to be part of that uh there's always, you know, people joke, oh, yeah, you're an answer to a trivial pursuit question or et cetera, et cetera. But uh, you know what happened, and it is what it is. What do you remember about uh, playing for the Oilers? I mean, you were here for uh, for a year and a bit and, and then were ultimately uh, traded away. Was it, you know, what was the adjustment like coming to a Canadian market? And obviously, I mean, nobody expected you to replace Wayne Gretzky and get 200 points like he did, but still there was going to be some scrutiny there because you were involved in that deal. You know, it was very tough because the city was in mourning. Uh, and 
I remember my first like exhibition game there hanging Peter Pocklington an effigy at Northlands Coliseum. And you know, major articles in the in the papers and all the sports shows like this were everyone was just calling how how could this happen? How how do you sell trade whatever Wayne Gretzky? So there was a lot of so rightly or wrongly I just felt you know like I, I was the vi- I was the visual visualization that oh yeah the trade you know Gretzky's gone and here's the guy we got or one of the guys we got so it was it was a very tough tough spot but I remember playing with some of the best players I've ever played with from Grant Fuhrer to Mark Messier to Glenn Anderson uh, Charlie Huddy Kevin Lowe uh, Mark Messier obviously. Uh, and the list went on and on, Craig Simpson, et cetera, and just saying, wow, this is an amazing team with a lot of great hockey players. Uh, and I remember our team had a pretty good season, and we we were actually three up in the playoffs, 3-1, up 3-1 in the playoffs against the Kings, and then we didn't, lose, we didn't win. So that was a, you know, a tough way to – I've often thought if we'd won that series, how far we would have gone. Uh, but, yeah, it was a – Great, great hockey uh, atmosphere. And, uh, you know, certainly coming from L.A. where the Kings were just kind of on the upswing or I I don't know what they were at the time. But, I mean, you go to the kind of at Edmonton that time, they just won four cups in five years. It was like the the nerve center of hockey. So it it was a different, different atmosphere. You were briefly an Oiler, I think four games in the next season, and then and then wound up being being traded. Why was that trade, you know, to to leave the Oilers after being there for a season and a bit? Why was that something that you felt you needed uh, in your career at that time? You know, it was a, it was a tough spot. Uh, I remember having long talks with John Muckler, who I really respected, Glenn Sather a little bit too. Uh, it was one of these things where. Uh, it just didn't feel like a right fit, and I remember Peter Pocklington said, "Well, we're going to we're going to negotiate. We're going to have you sign a long term contract here." And I'm like, "I don't know if that's you know what, what I really want to do right now." And it, it just it kind of from there went went a little bit south. And I just thought, you know, there'd been a lot of rumors the year before that the Red Wings were really trying to make a a, a run or not a you know to try to get me as a hometown kid. So at the end of the day, I just after talking to some people, I just thought, you know what? I think it's just better early in the season. Let's just let's for for all people's sake here or party's sake, let's uh, try to make this this happen as far as a trade. So, but but I I do have very fond memories of Edmonton. I know a lot of people said, oh, you must have hated Edmonton. Uh, no, I, I, I you know I just remember, other than the fact it was extremely cold. <laughs> I remember getting there and saying, you know, like that first winter, plugging, having to plug. Uh, my car in at the mall or something like what I, I had to get like a lesson from one of my teammates about oh you have to plug your car in I'm just like but but yeah the people were very warm and it was a great hockey city and I still have some friends from Edmonton to this day uh, that I communicate regularly with uh, that were really not hockey related as far as like related with the team uh, just some you know wonderful people Jimmy, I got one more quick one for you, and this is a standard question I ask uh, almost all ex-players I talk to. Now, for for someone of your era, 
I'm going to have to say that you can't say Wayne Gretzky because he's such an obvious answer. But here's the question. Who is the greatest player you ever played with and who is the greatest player you ever played against? Against Mario Lemieux. Uh, his hands. Uh, you know, if, if you say Wayne Gretzky is the, maybe the greatest of all time, and I'm talking like th that era, obviously you got Bobby Orr, Gordie Howe, Maurice Richard, all that, but I'm just talking people right away go to Gretzky because of the just pure quantity of statistical amazement. <laughs> like, you know, what, what he did was amazing. I, I would say, though, that Mario Lemieux was maybe the most talented. He was just very gifted. Uh, his hands, his peripheral vision, his just a pleasure to watch. And, and sometimes I remember you, I, I'd be like, okay, you're, you're up against Mario. You can't like watch him because he'll dazzle you. You just, it was just, it, he was an amazing player. And I remember watching him in junior hockey as well. So, so to me, that's a pretty quick one. Uh, the, the, the second one's a lot harder because I played with some amazing players uh, in my career. I will, I will name a few and then maybe I'll, I'll try to narrow it down. Luke Robitaille, Dave Taylor, Marcel Dion, LA Kings. Uh, I, I forgot to mention Yari Curry in the first go around on, on great players to play with, but I would say Yari Curry, Glenn Anderson, uh, Mark Messier, um, uh, Red Wing, Steve Eiserman, Sergey Fedorov. Uh, I think. Oh, Nick Lidstrom, amazing players. And then, of course, I, there were some others along the way. But I think those list of players are all amazing players in their own. Right, and uh, I was—I just feel very fortunate. I got a chance to play with them. Yeah, some great names there for sure. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for being so generous with your time. Really appreciate your memories, and uh, it sounds like you're enjoying life now with your job and your family. Thank you so much for checking in on Six Thirty Chat. No problem. Thank you for having me. That is Jimmy Carson. Man, that was good. Former Edmonton Oiler. Very briefly had a 100-point season like he talked about. Part of the Wayne Gretzky, well, sale, as a lot of us call it. And then he told you why eventually the uh, little over a year after that, in the fall of 1989, he thought it would be better, be better if he was traded out of Edmonton. And that one worked out pretty good for the Oilers where they get Klima, uh, Murphy, and Graves from the Detroit Red Wings that helped them in 1990 win the Stanley Cup over the Boston Bruins. Great to catch up with Jimmy Carson here on 630 Shed. Still no score. Penguins and Islanders. Don't forget, game one of the AJHL final starts in about 10 minutes in Brooks. The Bandits hosting the North champion Spruce Grove Saints. Coming back to Inside Sports in a couple of minutes. The Innisfail Eagles will play for the Allen Cup tomorrow in Lacombe. They just beat Stony Creek out of Ontario 3-2 in the afternoon semifinal. Coming up at 8 o'clock tonight, the host generals will take on the Rosetown Red Wings. So the possibility, the possibility of an all-Alberta final for the Allen Cup tomorrow in Lacombe. Uh, that's, that was fun to go out there and take in that tournament yesterday, or uh, take in the quarterfinals yesterday. The Edmonton Oil Kings awaiting the winner of Prince Albert and Saskatoon in the Eastern Conference Final in the WHL. Regardless of their opponent, the Oil Kings will be on the road to start the Eastern Conference Final and then at home for games three and four. And they have confirmed the dates. Next Tuesday, well, we're talking 
a week and a half. Tuesday, April 23rd, Wednesday, April 24th. Those are the Oil Kings home games in the East Final, and maybe they'd get a Game 6 as well. But we know April 23rd and 24th for Games 3 and 4. Tickets will go on sale at 10 a.m. on Election Day, Tuesday, April 16th, oilkings.ca, to get more information. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on with our ballpark in the River Valley and the Edmonton Prospects. Their owner joins us when we get back. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.